you have a Bible, I want you to go to Acts chapter 9. Thank you, worship team. Acts chapter 9. We're in our series called Rethinking Church. It's so good to be back. If you would, remain standing. We're going to read the scriptures together, if you would. Uh, it's good to be back. I, I Last week, I was gone and preaching for one of my best friends, Matt Nelson. And what I didn't realize, when I went to his church, I forgot how laid back Matt is. He's just one of the most laid back guys. Well, his church is very laid back too. I didn't know that. So I came out and I mean, I was just my loud, obnoxious self. These people were like, whoa, you're loud. And I I couldn't tone it back. So it is really good to be back with loud and obnoxious people. That's what what I'm trying to say. Oh, you guys are the best. Uh, Acts chapter... Uh, I said, uh, Acts chapter 8 is where we are, Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible and you're new to church, download version, a great um, app for the Bible, and I'm in the New Living Translation. So we're in this series called Rethinking Church. Let me kind of bring you up to speed here. Uh, if you've missed any of this series, the church can kind of just become routine. It's just a thing we do. We don't mean anything bad by it. We love church, and, and we love Jesus, but... Like anything else in your life, like getting up and going to work or, or going home and just being with your family, it just becomes routine. And how do we break the routine? And that's what this series is about, is breaking the routine and, and trying to recapture, oh yeah, this is why I come to church. Oh yeah, this is why I'm involved in the life of the church. Oh yeah, this is why I serve. Oh yeah, oh yeah, this is why I'm in a core group. Oh yeah, this is why I, I give. All these things that we do. And so in order to kind of recapture that. We're going all the way back to the beginning. So if you're new to the scriptures, Acts is written by this guy named Luke, who was not a disciple, but he was a follower of Jesus. And he talked to all these eyewitness accounts and he wrote down all the early experiences as the church was birthed. And so we've been walking through this each week from uh, when the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell and boom, instant church, like instant church, 3000 people saved and baptized on the same day. And then God was adding to their number daily. And then you fast forward a few chapters and things are starting to get a little uneasy because there's some persecution taking place. Some of their leaders have been arrested. Um, People are losing their their jobs and they're being um, kicked out of their families. But then it gets really bad. This guy named Stephen, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. He He was killed. He was stoned to death. He was the first Christian martyr. This really, really shook up the church. Things were never the same after that. That's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 8. It says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. Now, at this point, this is the only place the church is. It's only in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men, they came and they buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul, and now Saul... In one chapter, we don't know how many years, but in one chapter, his life is going to be radically altered. (laughs) This guy is, Saul's going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. He had no idea how it was going to be flipped on him, that that Jesus was going to appear to him and his life was going to be radically altered. So he's arresting Christians. And then he goes from arresting Christians to starting churches all over the world. Like the whole reason we have core church today is because of this crazy guy. This guy who was arresting people. How many of you know 
that God can radically alter your destiny in one simple act of salvation and redemption. Amen? That's what God can do. Radically alter your life. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, he went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame, they were healed. So there was great joy in that city. If you ever wonder why this church exists, why you exist, we are here to bring great joy to this city. We are not here to condemn this city. We are not here to chastise the city. We are not here to point the finger at people in this city. We are here to bring great joy to this city. Come on, everybody. Amen. So today I want to talk to you about rethinking priests and preachers. Rethinking priests and preachers. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good. We pray for great joy in our city. Spirit of God, help us now be in this place and in this moment with us. Impart wisdom and change into our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, you may be seated. Well, as most of you um, know uh, that come all the time, uh, I haven't always been a preacher. My, my background is radio. I um, did a morning show here in Tulsa on Z104.5, and uh, one of my morning show partners at the time was a lady by the name of D.C. Roberts, and D.C. did the news, and uh, we were great friends, had a, had a great time together. If you don't know her from there, you may, if you've been in Tulsa for some time, she also did the Channel 8 morning show, so maybe you woke up in the morning on Channel 8 with D.C. Roberts, and uh, but she's since left the industry like me, and we, we kind of lost touch with each other. But recently, we reconnected, and we reconnected in, I'm telling you, the most God-ordained moment and thing that I could ever imagine. Something that I believe God is going to use to radically alter our church. And I would have never dreamed that somebody I met 25 years ago would play such a critical part in my life and the movement of this church, that we were just goofing around, being banana and mel in the morning, doing birthday wake-up calls. I mean, that was what we were doing. I wasn't thinking about this. And I, I, I got to stop there because I want to share it, but it's not the message for today. So, I, but I am going to share it, but not today. I'm going to actually, I'm going to hold that story because I want to share it on Vision Day. So Vision Day is the first Sunday of February. So mark your Google calendar now, first Sunday of February, 90 days from today. That's how long you're going to have to wait for that story. So DC and I have recently reconnected. And what I didn't know about DC is, is that she's a country girl. She was raised in the country. In fact, she and her husband own about 100 acres. They own a, um, a ranch out near Beggs, Oklahoma. How many of you know where Beggs, Oklahoma? Okay, a lot of some, okay, if you don't know where Beggs is, you go south on Highway 75, and to get to her ranch, you turn right, right after Duck Casino. The Duck Casino, you guys know which one? You know what I'm talking about? The Duck, the, 
No idea. No idea. I don't know, Pastor. I don't know anything about a casino. I don't know. I don't know. Really? Because when I said Duck Creek Casino, all you, I watched some of y'all are like, oh, yeah, now I know where it is. Yeah. And then you're quickly like, oh, no, actually, I don't, Pastor. No, I would never. I mean, just uh, whew, worshiping Jesus. Yeah. Although seven is God's number. Come on, seven. <laughs> Anyway, so she invited Laura and I out uh, to hang out one afternoon with her and her husband on their ranch, and I'm like, I am down with that because I, they have a hundred head of cattle. I love cows. I'm a wannabe rancher. I'm a city boy, but I thought I can go out and play cowboy for a day. This will be awesome. And so I went out and I actually petted a cow in the wild. Is that not, like, look, look, there it is. There's proof. I petted a cow in the wild. It was crazy. It's crazy. I mean, now what's weird, look at the expression. I am so, you have no idea. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is better than the casino. If anybody knows anything about cows, you can't do that. Like they run from you, but they raised this one from like a puppy or a pup or whatever they are when they're little. Um, <laughs> Y'all yelling at me. It's a calf. The calf, preacher, it's the calf. All right, okay, all right. You'll yell later for Jesus like that too. All right. <laughs> so anyway, we, were, we went out, and, we, and then they took us out on their gator. And it was awesome, just going all over their property. And, and her husband, uh, Rick, was telling me about their neighbor and their neighbor's barn. And he said that somebody had recently purchased it and converted the barn into a weekend getaway. And so they, they put a couch in there, they put uh, chairs and lamps and, and, uh, and just all kinds of stuff. And, and where their plan was to just go there and it'd be this beautiful weekend retreat. And he said what happened is so they, they moved in there and then they invited all the neighbors for a wine and cheese party. In Beggs, Oklahoma. <laughs> Who does that? And so he, he looks at me and he goes, Folks out here ain't much for wine and cheese. <laughs> he said, we got work to do. <laughs> so needless to say, he said, nobody came to her little wine and cheese party. <laughs> He's like, man, I've got a hundred acres out here. I've got land I've got to take care of and fences and cattle and other animals and upkeep. He goes, nobody has time for a wine and cheese party. And when he was telling me about this, I started thinking about the church, and I started thinking about the words of Jesus. And listen to this. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37. He said this, the harvest is great, but say this with me, what? The workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to, say this with me, send more workers into his fields. Jesus didn't create the church for a wine and cheese party. No, he, he created us to be workers in the fields. We've been talking about this over the last few weeks. We've been talking about how we come into this place as we come as the people of God into this place to experience the presence and power of God. That's why you're here. We are here to worship God and experience his presence and his power in this place. We, we come in here and we, we sit and we soak up the presence and power of God. 
But as we said just a couple of weeks ago, if we just sit and soak up the presence of God, next thing you know, that will lead, sitting and soaking lead to settling and sulking. It becomes a wine and cheese party. W-H-I-N-E. Because <laughs> I want things my way, and I like the way things, I, what do you have for me? And pretty soon it becomes all about me, and we forget about the harvest of souls that are right outside the walls of this building. God help us for forgetting that there are people who don't know the good news. They don't have the hope and the joy and the fun and enjoy the fellowship and the kindness and the camaraderie and the family that we enjoy in this place. So I really think of the church as kind of like a barn. I think it's more like a barn. This is a place where we come to get the tools and to be fully equipped and then sent back out into the fields. I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus was born in a barn. It's because he said, I've got a mission, I've got a purpose, and his mission and his purpose was that not that people would just come and bow down to him, but that he himself would go out and he would take the good news to people, and he wants us to do the same. One of the things we talked about in this series was how Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But evidently, the church of Jerusalem wasn't catching that vibe and they weren't really doing, they kind of were hunkering down. They liked Jerusalem and they weren't really branching out anywhere else. And they kind of got stuck in Jerusalem. And then we read about the stoning and the killing of Stephen. And it says this in Acts 8.1, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, they were what? They, they were scattered. They were scattered through the regions of, of Judea and Samaria. See, the enemy at this point, the devil is thinking, oh, I'm going to get the church. I'm going to kill somebody, and then the church will die. What an idiot. Like, he tried this before, right? I'm going to kill somebody, and then the church will die. He tried that with Jesus. He rose again on the three, third day. He's like, oh, maybe I'll give it another shot. No, it's not going to work. In fact, God used the very thing meant to destroy the church to spread the church all over the globe. What's crazy is that Acts 1.8, where Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 was fulfilled in Acts 8.1. What does it say? They were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. You cannot stop the move of God. If you believe that, say amen. You're taking notes, write this down. We gather to scatter. We gather to scatter. In other words, we are gathered here in this place to be equipped and then sent back out into the world. But I want us to stop for just a moment. I want us to just reflect for just a moment on the early church because I think we can brush right over this really quickly and move on and we can forget that these were just people like you and I. 
and, and all they've ever known is Jerusalem. I mean, most of them grew up there. This is where their family was. This is where their jobs were. They knew where the stores were, their homes. And now all of a sudden, they're leaving everything behind because of the persecution. Many of them just leaving everything. And they're going to a place that they, they don't know, even know where they are. Like they, they don't know the customs. Maybe don't even sometimes know the language. Now they don't have a job. They're not around their family. They don't know anyone. And, and, and they're just all upside down. I, I can't imagine that because I'm a homebody. Like, I like to stay home. Anybody a homebody? Like, yeah, at Thanksgiving and holidays, come to my house. I don't want to go to your house. Come to my house. I mean, it's getting cold now. Oh, my goodness, you give me PJ pants, a hoodie, a fire, an ESPN, and I am going nowhere until spring. I'm just, I am, I am, I'm hunkering down. I mean, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm, I love to be comfortable. We love to be comfortable. Even in this house, we can get comfortable. We like our space and we like our place. I mean, you come, we come in, and we, I've got the place where, where I sit, and this is where I sit, and these are the people that sit around me, and this is where I, I feel comfortable, and, and, and we can get comfortable. Don't believe me? want everybody to stand for just a moment. Just stand. Everyone stand. Let me show you how comfortable we are. Everybody stand. Now gather everything you have brought with you. Pick it up. Phones, coats, whatever, jackets. And what I want you, you're going to move. I want you to move to a completely different section and a completely different row. Different section, different row. And go. All right? Hey, no chatting it up, no socializing. You're on the move. And once you get there, you sit down. You can have a seat. Once you get there, you, you can sit down. Well, for some of you, this is hard, isn't it? You're like... It's just a road. Just find a road. Just sit in it. It's, it's a, yeah. You know, it's crazy. Is, is, I mean, we're, we're uncomfortable. And all we did was move to a different place in the room. The, these people, they, they uprooted everything, and they left their homes. They left the places where they lived. I mean, it was uncomfortable. We don't like being uncomfortable, but the enemy wants you to get comfortable. He loves for you to get comfortable. He wanted the early church to get comfortable. He wants you to just kind of settle into this place and, 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 and kind of sit and soak and, and not, don't, don't think about anyone out there. It's all about you. It's all about you feeling good. It's all about you getting comfortable. We, we desire comfort, but, but nothing grows that's comfortable. I mean, just think about muscles. Muscles don't grow when they're comfortable. I mean, I'm, case in point, look at this. I've been uncomfortable for quite a long time. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, no, you've been way too comfortable, preacher. Your mind does not grow 
when it's comfortable. I mean, they call it what? You know, stretch your thinking. You know, I mean, stretch your brain. I mean, they expand your mind. I mean, all that you, you got to get uncomfortable if you want to learn new things. I mean, if, if you have a dream, if you have aspirations, if there's something you want to do with your life, guess what? You can't do it in comfort. It's going to make you very uncomfortable, and you've got to persevere through discomfort. If you want to grow spiritually, you're never going to do it being comfortable. This is one reason why people never grow spiritually. They want to grow, but they don't want to do what it takes to grow because that would make me uncomfortable. And I like being, yeah. The early church was made very uncomfortable. What's crazy is the fastest growing church in the world is happening under the most difficult and dire circumstances and under the greatest persecution. You'd be shocked to learn that the fastest growing church in the world is in the country of Iran. Iran, of all places. Dr. Chris Foster talked about this at one of our recent core midweeks, and uh, he showed me a documentary, and I watched this documentary of, of, the early ch- of the church there in Iran, and all the mosques are basically vacated, and the, the, the po- uh, politics and all that are saying, oh, no, 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 it's not, it's not. Christianity is dead, but it's not. It, the underground church is growing and flourishing, but it is being persecuted. In fact, um, one couple, they came to the United States and, and they fled from Iran and, and the persecution and they came to the United States and the, the woman said, take me back because the people in America, the Christians in America are too comfortable and the church is asleep and I'm afraid that I'm going to go to sleep. She wanted to leave the United States and the comfort here for the persecution back where she was because she felt closer to Jesus under the persecution. These are people right now that are being brutally beaten, brutally raped, imprisoned, taken away from their families, killed. I mean, major sacrifices that they're making. And the movement, by the way, isn't being led by preachers and professionals, It's being led by regular, ordinary men and women. The craziest thing about the story is, is that the movement is primarily being led by women. Come on, ladies, give me an amen. Amen. This is the case with the early church. The early church was, was led by regular people. Look back at Acts 8 and verse 4. It says this, but the believers, turn to somebody near you and say, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. The believers who were scattered, say this with me, they what? Preach the good news about Jesus. The believers, the the untrained professionals, the the regular people preached, not, not shared, not talked, not acted like Christians, like they preached the good news wherever they went. Philip, for example, says, went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. You know, this is what I believe. The next, I believe this with everything within me, is the next great movement of God in the United States is not going to come through great preachers. We are in a culture right now that glamorizes and celebrates great preachers. I understand that because, I mean, I'm one of them. But, uh, but if you go on YouTube, you can see some of the most phenomenal communicators 
that Christianity has ever seen. I mean, I, I could name them, you could name them, and you, they are phenomenal communicators, but they are not going to lead the movement. I believe the next great movement of God is not going to come from great preachers. I believe it's going to come from ordinary men and women and young people. I believe it's going to happen because you decide, I am going to get up and I am going to make a difference. That I can be used by God. This is what the the early church, this is what's happening here, that God's using ordinary men and women. They became the priests and the preachers. They're untrained. At best, they were listening to some of the preaching and kind of got some teachings, learned some things, got a few letters, and then they were just trying to figure it out. And God was using them in mighty and incredible ways. Philip. Philip, by the way, was not an apostle. The apostles, remember, they're back in Jerusalem. They've not gone. Philip's just a regular guy. In fact, if you look, he was a leader, but he worked in the food ministry. So he, he worked in the kitchen. So basically... Philip was, um, he was part of the core midweek food team. So if you're in the core midweek food team, you're probably like, I'm not showing up Wednesday night if that means I've got to preach. He's back in the kitchen. And now he's doing crazy things. This is, he's like, hey, I'm not Peter. I, I was there. I heard him preach that, that message. Woo! I mean, that got like, I got like 100,000 views on YouTube. It was insanely amazing. 3,000 people came to Jesus. I, I, I mean, I... Uh, Um, I work in the kitchen. And God used Philip. I think this is how most of us feel. We feel like, man, I'm just, I'm not qualified. I've I've not been trained. I I don't know what to say. I don't don't know what to do. And I just have you just think of it this way. When someone is drowning, they could care less about your credentials. (laughs) When you swim out to save them, they're not going to go, hey, are you lifeguard certified? They do not care. You're swimming towards them, they're grabbing on. They don't care. Listen, if people don't care, and we think, man, I've got to have some kind of certified training. Well, listen, here's what Peter says. Peter, who preached that insanely amazing sermon, he said this, you are royal priests. Turn to somebody and tell them, he's talking about you. He's talking about you you. You are a royal priest. You are a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, say this with me, you can show others the goodness of God. In other words, you are certified, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Stand back up. Everybody stand back up. Leave your stuff. You're not going to move. You're not going to move. Just stand up. You're anointed and appointed. You're anointed and appointed. You're anointed and appointed. Congratulations, you're all certified. You may be seated. <laughs> Is it really that easy, Brad? Yes. We've overcomplicated it. God wants to use you. He wants to use you in an incredible way, in the same way that he used these people. Like you're, you're the only priest and preacher some people will ever know. You have a parish. You have a, your neighborhood is your parish. Your workplace is your parish. Your campus is your parish. Like God has entrusted those people to you. He's saying, listen, I am sending you as a light into a very dark 
world. God wants to use you. Come on, turn to three people. Tell them God wants to use you. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And God wants to use you. God wants to use you. He's not asking you to move seats. He's asking you to move out into the darkness. Man, to take the light to those places who there is no laughter. Where they don't know this experience. Where they feel lost and they, and they feel alone. And God's saying, I'm, I, I, I put you there. That's your place. Be a light. Embrace it. Light up the darkness. Light it up. In verse 6, it says, this crowd's listened intently to Philip. In other words, they did not care about his certification. They did not care if he was an apostle or he had gone to seminary. They didn't care. Why did they not care? Because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. How, how was Philip able to pull this off? He's an ordinary guy. There's nothing special about him other than he had the presence and power of the Holy Spirit working within him. It wasn't about Philip. It was about Philip being filled up with the Holy Spirit. This is what makes you unique. This is what makes you different as a follower of Jesus. Listen, we gather in here to experience the presence and the power of God, but we gather to scatter, and we take the presence and power of God with us wherever we go. That should cause you to square your shoulders and walk with confidence. I have the power of Almighty God in me, oh, in me. I, I, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, but he will show me what to say. He will show me what to do. He will give me the power. He will give me the strength. I mean, I think so many times, so many Christians are walking around with no presence and no power. Nobody wants that. You have no idea what's inside of you and your shoulders are just slumped and you're walking with your head down and you're just Man, just life is just, oh, it's so hard. It's just so difficult. And I'm not saying life isn't hard. I'm not saying life isn't difficult. But I'm just saying, man, when you tap in and you realize, oh, my goodness, I have the power of Almighty God. I can accomplish anything because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that is within me. I can overcome anything in my life because I have the presence and power of God in me. If he set a dream in my mind, I can accomplish that dream because of the presence and power of God. I can change my world, not because of me, but because of the presence and the power of Almighty God. I, I think we just made sharing the gospel way too difficult. We just made it so complicated and, and, and so hard. We, the, the pressure is all on me to seal the deal. I got to seal the deal. As if God is in heaven looking down and going, well, yeah, just jack that up. Way to go. They're going to hell for sure now. Thanks a lot, Bill. Listen, write this down. I think this, this will help you. This helped me so much. God is bigger than my poor presentation skills. 
God is bigger than my poor presentation skills. This helped me so much. What does it mean to share Christ? We, we talk about this often here. Three things. Intercede, invest, inform. Intercede, invest, inform. Intercede, invest, inform. In other words, intercede. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Intercede. Pray for people. Pray for opportunities. If you're not praying for people or praying for opportunities, God's not going to use you. Just flat. That's just as simple as I can state it. God's not going to use you if you're never praying for opportunities or praying to be used by God. You're, you strike one, you're out. Okay? Number two, Invest, just do good. Just look for opportunities to do good. Like be kind, be considerate, look for opportunities to help people. God will show you that. But the third one is this, inform. This is the one we struggle with. Share Christ. Like open your mouth and share the hope that you have. And this is where most of us go, oh, it's so awkward. It's so, I don't think I can do that. It's awkward. God is bigger than my poor presentation skills. I'm telling you, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm a preacher. You think I would, but I don't. It's even sometimes harder for me because I'm a preacher and I'm expected to be really good at it. And and God so many times is like, Brad, you're horrible. You're awful. But I love you. And I just decided one day, you know what? Forget this. I'm so tired of people not knowing about Jesus. I'm just going to start sharing. It's going to be awkward. I'm not saying don't be weird. Don't be weird. But it's okay to be awkward and just, uh, just kind of spit it out there. You know, Jesus! Okay, that's weird, okay? But it's okay. I mean, do you remember the first time you learned how to do something? You remember that? Like you started a new job and you just felt like an idiot. Like everybody's looking at you and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And everybody's like, they don't know what they're doing. And you messed it up. You broke it or you didn't do it right. And everybody's like, ah. And you didn't want to go back, did you? I you did not want to go back. But you went back. Why? Because you needed the paycheck. So you just kept going back. I would say this to you. If it's awkward for you to share Christ, it's because you're not sharing Christ. That's why it's awkward. The more that you share Christ, the less awkward it gets. You're going to be horrible at it at first, but God is bigger than your poor presentation skills. You're not the Holy Spirit. You're just the vessel. Be available. And just let God begin to use you. And the more that God begins to use you, the easier it becomes to share Christ. Now, I know even as I say this, you're like, Brad, I, still, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. And, uh, and I can't tell you what to say. I can't tell you what to do because every situation is unique and every situation is different. It just is. And, and the Holy Spirit, that's why you have to depend on him in that moment and just go with your gut and go with what you feel like God's telling you to say or do and just go for it. But I know even when I say that, you're still like, I still just need a little help. And I hesitate to give you, you know, five ways to share your faith. But I'm going to give you like five ways to share your faith, okay? I, I really don't want to do this. I met with uh, my team, and I was like, I don't want to do this. And they're like, we think it'll help. And I said, okay. And so I, I'll just give you five things. You can write these down, and maybe they'll help you, okay? If they'll help you, then I'll share them with you. Here they are. Number one, give God the credit. Just give God the credit. So often we just leave the word God out or the word Jesus out, and we don't give God the credit for the conversation, for something good that's happened, or somebody's like, well, wow, thank you for doing that. You don't go, well, you know, I mean, just, just sometimes as a follower of Jesus, that's just what I do, and I just feel like I try to be like Christ, or whatever it is you would say. I don't know what you'd say in that moment, but I can tell you what I did a couple weeks ago. I was at the gym, and I was talking to one of the guys there, and he's an atheist, and I've known him for a couple years, and 
we have conversations, great conversations, and somehow we got to talking about how hard life is and how difficult life is, and, and we were sitting in the locker room, and he started telling me about his son, and his son is an alcoholic, and it, he's homeless. And I've known this, and I, and I said, man, Joe, I'm just, I'm so sorry. And he goes, man, my son just, he goes, I can't even have him around because he's just messed our family up so bad. It's been so hard. He said, but you know, honestly, today, Brad, he's sitting in my car because it was cold and it was rainy and his son had nowhere to go. He's like, so I just decided to let him sit in the car. And I looked at him and I said, Joe, I think I know why you did that. He's like, why? And I go, I think God told you to do that. He's like, what? I go, you know, you've always wondered if there's a God and how can you know there's a God? I'm just telling you, I think that you, can, you know there's a God, because I know you, Joe, and you would never do that. I know how you feel about your son. I know how hard it is for you, but there's something or someone who's prompted you. And, and I, I really believe that was God. I believe God prompted you and said, hey, Joe, show a little compassion. Show some love to your son. I know you don't want to, but just do it anyway. And you did it. You know what he said to me? Hmm. And that was it. And I turned and walked out and went and played basketball. Give God the credit. Number two, share your story. In other words, when somebody is sharing about a difficult season or a difficult time or something they're struggling with, share your own personal story. Share how God has in, impacted and changed your life. What has he done in you? How, how has he helped you through a difficult time? Share your story. Number three, pray for people. This is one that I think is, it seems hard and difficult, but it's one of the easiest. It seems like the most difficult. It is actually the easiest thing to do. And it doesn't mean that you just stand in front of people and just go, I'm going to pray for you. Jesus set them free. Hallelujah. Praise be the name. Oh, holy God. Amen. That's weird. <laughs> Awkward, not weird, okay? No, if somebody's going through a difficult time, ask them, hey, could I pray for you? Most of the time, you'd be shocked. Most of the time, they'll say, sure. And just pray a simple prayer for them. Pray for them. Number four, share an encouraging scripture. This is hard to do if you're never in the Word, by the way. If you're never in the Word, it's kind of hard to share the Word. So I'd encourage you first to get in the Word, but if you have a Scripture that's got you through a difficult time or a Scripture that's meaningful to you, write it on a card or send them a text or, or just speak it over them and say, hey, here's the Scripture that's helped me. Maybe it'll help you. And number five, the final one is invite them to church. When the time is right and appropriate, invite them. You know, we have all these invite packets for Christmas. Take as many of them as you want. They're right there by the front doors. Grab them, take them with you. Invite your friends, your neighbors, people on your campus, whatever. I mean, you'd be surprised. Here's the thing. Statistics show and say that over 90, listen, over 90% of people say that they came to Jesus because of the influence of a friend or a family member. Nine out of 10 people come to faith. That's the power of those invite cards on the chairs. The ones you sit on every week, those, that's the power of that card to change someone's life. I want to invite our worship team to come. I mentioned Saul earlier who became Paul. He wrote these words to the Romans in a letter that he wrote to them, and I think these words were probably pretty weighted for him because of his own conversion and because of what Christ did for him. He said this, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. How beautiful are, are the feet of those who, who bring hope to somebody who's in a hopeless situation. 
how beautiful are the feet of those who, who bring grace to somebody when they're broken. How, how beautiful are, are the feet of those who bring love to somebody who feels completely lost. Some of you know KP. Uh, KP is, attends regularly, and a couple months ago, he was in first service, and uh, some of you were in second service and saw what happened. KP, in first service, he brought his friend Carlos, and Carlos gave his life to Jesus, and they were leaving, and we were having a baptism in second service, and, and KP came to me, and he said, hey, Carlos wants to get baptized, and can he get baptized, and, and we have a change of clothes for that, and, and so we can help people if they, the last minute they want to get baptized, we can make that happen, and so some of you remember, he stood on the stage, he stood like right here, and, and he... And his buddy Carlos was, was back there in the water and, and he was standing there with that piece of paper and he began to read the story of his, of his friend Carlos. And, and KP's standing there and he's looking into the tub and he's reading his friend's story and he's realizing, oh my goodness, my friend is getting baptized and he's going from death to life like because of me, because of me. God wants to use you in such a way as that. I think the greatest thing that happens in our lives is to experience the grace and mercy of Jesus, but the second and a very close second to experiencing the grace and mercy of Jesus is when you share that grace and mercy and somebody gives their life to Jesus and somebody goes under that water and comes back up to new life and you realize God used me he wants to use you and and i believe that god wants to use you in the coming weeks and in the in the coming months that you'll have that moment in fact what i want you to do right now i just want you to visualize somebody you know that's far from god who do you know that's far from god and i want you to imagine that you're standing on this stage and they're, they're, they're in the tub. <laughs> they're in the baptismal pool and, and you read their story and, and then they go under that water and then they come back up to, to new life and you realize while you stand there, God used me like they're in the kingdom of God because of me. Father, would you use us in such a way? transform and bring joy